It's because you stomp. You got floor and my lima beans. I really wish we could have the AC on while we were talking. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay. I'm ready to go. I am just itching to talk about horror today. You're in a mood? I am in a mood. I am a mood. All of the above. Mood. Exactly. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched The House of the Devil? You mean the wonderful 2009 throwback love letter to 70s and 80s horror, The House of the Devil? Literally would have thought that it was from the 80s. It It's straight out of it, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. We're very excited to talk about it. So, I'm nah, Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes, here to bring horror right to your speaker headphones, etc. If you listen to it with your butt, then there too. Okay. So, we're going to do the normal format. We're going to talk about who made this thing, then we're going to go into plot, and then we're going to do a little bit of an analysis. And as a little treat today, we're going to give you guys the complete, or almost complete, because there's a lot of information I found <laughs> on this, um, a pretty pretty great history lesson on Satanic Panic. Yes. Uh, so, buckle in. Here we go. Topher, who made this thing? A lot of people. A lot of people worked on it. Big, uh, big crew. That's it. That's all I'm saying on it. Isn't just a lot of people. <laughs> no credit whatsoever. Fuck everybody in film. <laughs> I quit. I'm out. He's done. He's done. So now I have. I have a show. I have just a show. Just me, myself, and I. I'm not going to go into like a spiral of like, can I do this alone? Sort of thing. You know, it's going to be fine. So who made this thing? Other than a lot of people. Yeah, all right, fine. I'll pull your ass out of the fire again. Thank you. All right, so The House of the Devil was directed by horror director, writer, editor, veteran, Ty West. That's T.I. West. He did, like, everything for this, right? Yeah, he's... Hands on. Yeah, hands on is exactly the right word. Um, He definitely fashioned himself after John Carpenter. And it's because he comes out of the indie world. Makes You'll sense. see a lot of us, like you, you know, me and our good friend Stephen Reed. Both of us are like, we write, we direct, we actually shoot the thing ourselves. Like mm-hmm. with, we're the camera operators, and then also end up doing the editing because we don't have money to pay people. <laughs> and yeah. even though he did on this, he, I think it's a, it's a thing you'll see with a lot of directors coming out of the uh, the indie world. Makes sense. Yeah, totally registers for me. So, like I said, direction, writing, and editing all happened from ty west mm-hmm. uh, music was done by jeff grace who has done just uh he's got a huge body of work so to say bravo um, i love the music the in music this. that's why i bring it up the music in yeah. this is just solid mm-hmm. very very well done uh both in it's fun to listen to like i've listened to the soundtrack on its own yeah but also in terms of cues is just phenomenal Totally, totally. And it puts you right back there because uh, right back there in like the 70s, 80s realm, mainly Mm -hmm. the 80s. But yeah, it it definitely has even the music has like a Stranger Things vibe. And that's a very good thing. Funny you mentioned Stranger Things because the art director for this film was none other than Chris Trujillo. It makes Trujillo. I'm not sure how he actually pronounces the double L there, but Mm. it makes complete sense. I mean, I, I would see that if, if someone saw one entity, they'd be like, I want them from, from my film. Yeah. Because it's and so, such an important thing to get right. Absolutely. So that's cool. And definitely his work on The House of the Devil. And I believe he also did, oh yeah, he did um, Little Accidents, which is a really cool little film. It's a strong portfolio. Yeah. Uh, also designed Glass, production design for Glass, oh. um, the most recent M. Night Shyamalan film. 
Nice. nice yeah, nice. he did every he did every episode of Stranger Things. He's the production designer. I knew I recognized his name when we were watching this, and I went mm-hmm. back and I was like, oh, of course it was him. Beyond that, the cinematographer was Elliot Rocket, which is a dope name. Yeah. Uh, you would know his work, obviously, from this and from Ty West's other feature film, The Innkeepers. I'm jealous of that name. Yeah, I'm like, it's I'm really good. I'm stunned. Elliot Rocket? That's yeah, dope. Yeah, such a great name with two T's on Rocket, too. Ah. Uh, so you can really get hit, power that, move. hit that T. Power move. I One love T that One T on Elliot, shit. though. Power move. <laughs> like too many teeth, just like just like switch them around. I love that. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. He's just like, I don't know, put the teeth someplace. <laughs> Incredible. It's really funny. I have a weird connection to him because my uncle used to open for the Lemonheads in the nineties. No way. And he shot one of their videos. Not my uncle, Elliot Rocket did. Awesome. Yeah. Fun story. That's yeah. it. The degree separation from Kevin Bacon or whatever. Speaking of like 80s things, wasn't that like a huge thing in the 80s? Everyone's like, yeah, I definitely came out of that. Separation of I, I never, I wasn't, I wasn't alive in the 80s. Don't hate me, but how dare you? I know, I didn't experience it firsthand. It's okay, I don't blame you. It's fine. Yeah, other than that, I mean, I love the production on this film. I think every slice of it was perfect. Yeah, Uh, and. Trujillo doing, you know, the Volvo 240, that sedan that she rolled, that Greta Gerwig drives. Spoilers, Greta Gerwig's in this movie. Yeah. And so is Lena Dunham in a random voice cameo. Oh, my God. Yeah. She plays like a 911 operator. Totally. Yep. That's awesome. her. <laughs> and Greta Gerwig is... Fucking great in this. Chef's kiss. Yeah. But I think that, yeah. I mean, if you don't know Ty West's work, you should. Uh, <laughs> he primarily does short horror segments like as part of anthologies uh he was like we talked about with uh, xx but he mm-hmm. was in he had a he had a segment in vhs he had a segment in the abc's of death he's done a few others i'm trying to think right now of like what all he's done but it's just so much like he just works totally that's great um and like we said greta gerwig is is in this she plays the um the, the best, best friend. friend yeah megan and yeah who who else do we have in here so what one of the things I absolutely love about this movie is just its use of character actors. Mm-hmm. So we have Jocelyn Donahue mm-hmm. and kind of her breakout role. Yeah. Tom Noonan, who is a very well known and amazing character actor. He's awesome at being creepy. As, He's so you know, good at it. Um, exhibit A is this movie. And I completely forgot he was in Damages. Oh. I uh-huh. loved him in that. Mm-hmm. That show was great. I mean, I mean, Rose Byrne and Glenn Close. Hard to go wrong with those two. Oh my god! I saw Glenn Close in um, on Broadway. Was she in Glengarry Glenn Ross? No, no, no. She was in um, she was in Sunset Boulevard. Oh, dope! That it was that revival was interesting, but that's a different conversation for another time. <laughs> but Glenn Close is still stellar, no matter what. Catch us on Theater Babes when we discuss theater and its role in horror. Nope, that's not a thing. That's not a new podcast. Nope. Cut. <laughs> uh, other than that, yeah, we have Mary Warrenov. Uh, so that Tom, her and Tom Noonan both play Mr. and Mrs. Ullman. Uh, Tom Noonan, or sorry, Mary Warrenov was also in Death Race 2000, which is a great cult film. Then, like you said, Greta Gerwig plays Megan, the best friend, and A.J. Bowen is the son, Victor Ullman, of the Ullman family. That's right. And that's basically it. We have a few other just side roles in here, but that's, that is the cast. Yeah, it's it's relatively small. Right. So yeah, 
We're now let's go let's let's move on to plot if you feel good about that. I do. do? I also just feel yeah. very sweaty. It's yeah, it's it's pretty hot here in uh New York. It's Oof. uh Today's actually pretty mild in comparison to what we've been experiencing. It's not 100 degrees and 90% humidity. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's 87 and, like, there is an actual breeze. It's a little drier outside. (laughs) It's it's not a flood. You're right. Yeah. You can can thank me later for this very late weather report. (laughs) I'm like, we're not live, so. (laughs) Do we know how to do anything? We're just. I know how to do a lot of things. Like I said, I am a mood. I'm a consummate professional. Uh, yeah, let's get down to business. Time what? for a plot. Yeah, let's do this plot. We're in the 1980s. We got a college student named Samantha Hughes, and she's trying to rent a house, yeah. which we know is fucking expensive. Sure is. Even in 1983, when everything was way cheaper. Yeah. So. But she's a college student. She doesn't work, and I'm I'm guessing all her money is going towards tuition. Correct, as all of her money does, although way more than it used to in '83. Yeah. So, of course, yes. Samantha is a college student trying to rent this apartment or house. The landlady is like, you know what? You remind me of my daughter. I'll give you one month's written. Uh, I'll, I'll, you don't have to do the deposit. Just give me a month's rent in advance. Yeah. Cute. Nice. Yay. But still a lot of money. So she's stressing. Right. So she finds this ad, this very, very vague ad that says babysitter wanted. And it's the S is, of course, a dollar sign. And then just a number to call. Yeah. And we find out that the reason why she wants to move out so badly is she's just kind of sick of her roommate. Her roommate too. Well, her roommate's just kind of like um, she's she's a lazy slob, which for me, I'm kind of like when you're in college, it's par for the course. That doesn't mean that you have to endure it. But it also I'm also not surprised by any of this roommate's actions i mean in a 12 by 16 cement block though which all dorm rooms are no, basically I, Ugh. i totally get it i'm just also kind of i'm also just not surprised Fair. you know it's yeah. not a surprise at how bad she is it's kind of just normal yeah it's just it's like such a great shot of like this sort of tight-assed samantha versus the slob <laughs> totally <laughs> there's totally. that great shot where it crosses the camera crosses from uh the roommate's side of the room to Samantha's side of the room. And it's a clear line of just like yeah, shit, shit and, then and then nothing. Yeah. Perfectly organized. Yeah. So of course she responds to this babysitter ad. She's quite desperate for money and babysitting is, is usually not super invasive. Right. You know, and he's supposed to meet Samantha uh, at a specific building on campus, like student affairs or something. Yeah. Or, I don't know. Admissions. Office. Right. So she sits on the step. She's got her Walkman going and is there for hours and hours and hours. And he just completely stands her up. And he it's goes. so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we get a really good. Does this happen? The first, Does she go back to the phone booth and call them or? When, no. When so she makes the... she makes the call. No, there, no one picks up. He calls back. She answers at the payphone. And that's kind of a creepy moment where she's yes. like, wait, how did you get this number? So that it's all done in like a wide shot, too, which is always great. That's right. That's right. And it's such a good moment. And I'll, I'll expand on this um, after we get through plot and everything. But I think the coolest thing about this film is the entire time you know that, you know, a really giant other shoe is going to drop. Yes. And you're so w- when the creepy things happen, you're like, nice. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're just like, cool. Because well, this movie is such a slow burn, which I love yeah. about it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Like the just, first 20 minutes, like nothing happens. I hell, the first 40 minutes, barely anything True. happens. Yeah. Something um, like that. 
So after the conversation, oh, sorry, yeah, the phone booth thing is where he says he'll agree to meet her on the steps. Yeah. And then she goes and gets pizza with Greta Gerwig. Which, this scene always makes me want pizza. It's, so bad. She Greta Gerwig is, she's so, she's so natural, and she's kind of she's kind of eating pizza in, like, the most disgusting way possible. She's like... But it still works. No, it makes me want pizza every single time, even though in the scene she's like, oh, this pizza sucks today. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god. She's, like, licking her fingers, like, multiple times. She's like, so... She's, like, pulling the cheese out, like... But it, it could be an ad for pizza. It makes me want pizza every time. Yeah. Doesn't help that I live around the corner from a Domino's either. Mm. But yeah, so so they're like, you know, discussing the financial woes. And she's also like, what an asshole for like totally blowing you off. And yeah. like all of this stuff. So they're, they're really just like game planning. And of course, she you know. also offers to be a good friend and just go rip down all the other flyers. Oh yeah, she she's like she's like you want me to be like super vindictive because so and and um, Samantha's like no don't do that and she's like what we're like saving people from going through the trouble that you just went through like if this guy is just like a creep then you know yeah. let's just like save everyone else the trouble. <laughs> so of course she heads back to her dorm. And her shitty roommate is awake and is like, oh, you got a call. <laughs> She's like, you didn't fucking think to it's tell like me that? Th- like, it's what like happened? maybe She's 3 like, p.m. or something. And this yeah. bitch is like, fucked up. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I don't know. It's somewhere over there on the desk. And so she has to like look for the number and look for the Oh my note. God, yeah. Remember before answering machines and you had to leave notes for people? Oh, yeah. God. So he apologizes and says, okay, look, I'll pay you double what I was originally going to pay you. So that's 300 bucks. And she's like, all right, well, that's going to go a long way. Yeah. Because I have $84 in my bank account. Yeah. And she's trying to rent that room or that gotta house. Rent that, gotta rent that house. Where, uh, what, where are we? Like what state? It's, it's shot in Connecticut. It's not, it's never like really established. No, it like, is it's not, not established not where we are. Point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's vague references to it being like Connecticut, upstate New York area. Definitely. It gives me big like New Hampshire vibes or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, yeah, definitely some sort of college town, either upstate or in Connecticut. Yeah, that's uh, what Both I of which there's like tons up there. So Cool. So I didn't miss anything. Great. No. I always read it as Detroit in my mind, but I, re- I read most indie horror movies as you Detroit. You do. You do. I, I see it more as like you said, like Connecticut, New Hampshire. This some sort rewatch, of college, yeah. This rewatch, towns. I definitely got that more. Yeah. Just because I was, I just, yeah, I just assume most indie horrors take place in Detroit because most of them do. No, but you're then, right. You're uh, right. This time, this, this time I definitely was like, oh no, I see like this is for sure like either Connecticut or upstate. Yeah. So Samantha accepts to do the job and gets a ride from Greta Gerwig or Megan. Right. Uh, Megan is her character name. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the house, Mr. Ullman does this like crazy thing that would have... Like for, let's see, for three out of my six years living in New York, I've, um, I was a babysitter Yeah, and nothing would make me run for the hills. I don't care what you're paying me and I don't care how, like, I've been very desperate for money. I live in New York. Ha ha. Um, (laughs) so like, um, would be, first of all, like 
driving up to a creepy mansion off this of a main, giant Victorian like, house in the middle of nowhere. That's what I'm saying. And like, and so Mr. Ullman, once, you know, she goes inside and her and Megan, her friend, have kind of come up with this thing like, if they're fucking creepy, like, you know. Let's go. We, we're, we gotta go. But Samantha is clearly just very um, adamant about doing the job. But Mr. Ullman reveals, this is the other thing that would have me running for the hills. Mr. Ullman reveals that there ain't no kids. Yeah. He's like, I'd be like, oh, um, gotta go. It's like, Sorry. I do have a son, but he's grown. And I'm like, oh, God. And as a viewer, you're like, what? what's the next sentence that's about to come out of this dude's mouth? Like, <laughs> uh, Noonan, like, get to the point. Right. And so he presents it as the job is to attend to his his wife's mother. Right. Who is now very old. Very old, able-bodied. Right. But uh, he, he says that specific term, able-bodied, mm-hmm. um, but just is very old. And he was like, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, just chill. <laughs> Which, again, knowing what we know now about what goes down in this movie, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, y- nobody just pays someone to actually do nothing. Like, you can have easy jobs, but yeah. it, I don't know. Red flags abound, basically. And she, they kind of barter for a second uh, or negotiate. And yeah. it, it, it eventually ends up being that they're going to pay her $400. Right. And she agrees to that and she agrees to stay. And Megan is like trying to convince her outside not to do the job. And of course, Samantha's like, well, you can just 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 come pick me up at this at this time. It's only a couple hours. It's only until like yeah. two or four a.m. Or no, so. it's like midnight. Is I oh, yeah, it's, it's midnight. It's midnight. And so Megan finally is just like, I don't agree with you, but like, OK, I'll be I'll be here. And Megan immediately leaves. Yeah. So, of course, there's some wonderful, creepy conversations with the Ullmans before they head out and leave Samantha alone. So Tom Noonan's doing this amazing physical work with his sort of like limp that he has, which is so much more effective because he's at least Mm 6'5". He's so tall. Mm -hmm. So he heads upstairs to finish getting ready and Mrs. Ullman appears and says, oh, I'm sorry. I was looking for my furs in the basement. And they have this whole conversation she and Samantha do uh, and eventually... She's like, yeah, we're from the desert. So weird. It's so strange. The, the whole interaction is so strange. Yeah, it's wonderfully creepy. Oh, and the final thing that Ullman, Mr. Ullman keeps doing is insisting that she order a pizza. Yeah, yeah. It's very funny. It's it's this like so over the top, just intensely creepy insistence on ordering a pizza. You're like, ah, fuck, that's how it's going to happen. Every single time I watch this, I'm like, oh, fuck, the pizza. No, not the pizza. As a a viewer, you're kind of like, oh, shit, girl, because you know. Don't order that pizza. Well, you know, you know that it's it's the same thing that I keep I keep referring to ghost. I'm like, Molly, you in danger, girl. (laughs) Like, I, I but like, it's it's such good. It's such good fun because obviously, you know, obviously this is all fictional yes so you're just Even like though the movie does say it's based on a true story uh, that's just ty west being schmaced. no it's ty west fucking around that's what i'm saying like you're some it's it's another it's just another like homage but right um but yeah it's really fun as a viewer because you're just like it's almost comical you're, you're just like oh shit girl don't don't do anything they say you shouldn't even be here in the first place get out get out <laughs> so we cut to megan who is driving home which I don't know why she like didn't just go park down the road, you know? Yeah. 
Like, why didn't she just go and chill out of sight of the almonds until they left and then just come back and kick it with Samantha? There was, it's not like now where you know that the parents have cameras everywhere in the house. That's true. Nest cameras weren't around in the no. 80s. Yeah, no, you, you make a good point. But if that had happened, we wouldn't have this incredibly horrifying oh, next scene, which is arguably my favorite scene in the movie because it always gets me. I watched this movie it's brutal. for the first time years ago. And this scene still, like I, I actually yelled. The first time I saw this scene. It's alarming. And I still, like, I can feel my heart rate going up right now. If I had a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or something like that, my phone would be like, yo, girl, calm down. 200 would be your your heart rate. <laughs> so, of course, um, the scene we're talking about is yeah. Megan has left and can't get the, uh, can't get her lighter to work while she's trying to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. You know, they do say that smoking is bad for your health, and this is about to prove why. Right? So, like, lung cancer aside, <laughs> this is actually the Lung worst cancer, part. schmung cancer. I'm worried about... A stranger appearing out of nowhere, startling <laughs> you, and lights the cigarette, and then... And then, and then she reveals that she's not the babysitter hired by the almonds, and the stranger's like, oh, you're not the babysitter, and just shoots and kills her. Just out of... Just nothing. They just yeah. have, like, a half conversation. Boom. In a graveyard, no less. Yeah. Oh God! And where he grabs the cigarette from her bloody fingers. Oh my And you get God. this amazing, uh, soft front focus, so, uh, sharp background focus. <sighs> that like, uh, it's just an amazing shot. Like the camera placement was absolutely perfect. I'm shocked they didn't have to like take the door off to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's this. It's this incredible sort of upshot at the killer. It's so and good. And Megan's just bloody skull, what's re- what's left of it, is just yeah. sitting there and she's just like dripping blood and the cigarette's still like just dropped on the floor. And he picks it up and smokes it. It's so, it's such a, oh, Because you get wild. the jump scare of him showing up with a lighter. And then you get kind of a secondary one. You're just like, you're just left staring at your TV or your computer screen just like, what? What? You can't move on from it for a good no. like five minutes. You're and just like, then there's I... the callousness of him sitting there and taking her cigarette, which like, of course, she's never going to have another one. It's not like she's going to be fucking bothered by that. But, but it's but it's a flex. It's, it's, it's yeah, a, it's a flex in lack of character, really. Yeah. Just a just an unemotionality of it. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Like, this isn't his first rodeo sort of thing. No. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool in a very morbid way. Absolutely. So guess what happens next, guys? Samantha (laughs) orders a fucking pizza. Fucking dumbass. Honestly, Uh, I feel so... Nah, I still feel sorry for her. I think she's great. Maybe it's just because, like, Jocelyn Donahue is such a perfect character for... Or, like, such a perfect actor for this character. Well, they do a really great job of endearing the audience to her because she has that adorable um like very 80s scene with the walkman and she's listening to she's listening to that's what song is it is it one thing leads to another that's right that's great song by the way yes exactly the soundtrack is like we said at the top dope so she's got that like cute like kind of dancing scene and it's like a little montage and yeah it's very very 80s well, and you also you're you're endeared to her because she's going through something with a roommate, and she like is trying to make her situation better instead of just whine about it. So you yeah. so it it automatically makes you like root for her. It's like she's she's got agency. She's so, a very active character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's got agency, and she is um she's practicing it. She's you know she's using it, and 
Um, I think that endears all of us to her. And so um, I do feel sorry for her for getting mixed up in all of this because how many of us have put ourselves in a precarious situation because we've needed money? Uh, My hand's raised. Yeah, like... I've worked some bad jobs for shit pay. Raise your hand <laughs> if you if you feel like you've been personally victimized by capitalism. <laughs> Everyone's hand should be raised right now. Even Bezos. I know you're listening. Even Regina George. Especially Regina George. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, there's this great scene where she's just dancing around with her Walkman. It's really cute. It's... Until she breaks a vase. Yes. And it like shatters. <laughs> it shatters the vase and it shatters the moment. Yes, it's very (laughs) super on the nose and I love it. Yeah, of course. So while she's trying to clean it up, she looks is looking in a closet for some place to like for something to help her clean up Mm -hmm. and discovers the furs, which is weird because she's on the first floor or the second floor. And not in the basement. Where They're not in the basement where so ladies. Maybe she just has lots of furs, but probably not. That's a lot of fur. That is a lot of fur. And also discovers a series of family photographs. She does, yeah. And in one of those photographs, <laughs> there's a different family standing next to the Volvo that she and Megan saw when they pulled up to the house. So many spooky discoveries in like a minute, and all because yep. she was having a little dance. And of course, she also finds a photograph of three corpses shown in one of the rooms <laughs> with the implication that they are the family in the, <laughs> in the original residence in this house. Oh, God. Oof. A lot Wait, does change. she find a photograph of them or is that a shot that we see? That's um, what I'm trying to remember. Oh, God. I, that's that's a that's a detail I don't remember. I but think we as the audience know, that, know about the corpses. Either way, yeah. I think it's a shot of it, but I don't. I, I can't remember that that detail. I'm probably, you know, usually just horrified in the moment yeah. and just can't even remember. <laughs> so she's definitely, like, shook now. And, of course, now we get another great job scare, the pizza. Of course. Of course. And, and, and everyone's forgotten about the pizza. I completely forgot about the pizza. Everyone's Samantha forgot about, about the pizza. pizza. Yeah. And, of course, it's delivered by the same man that killed Megan. Yep. Um. So Samantha's like, oh, fuck this. Dials 911 but then kind of tells the operator that it was a mistake, like she didn't mean right. to call. Um, and, of course, there were drugs in the pizza. Yeah, which ah. we don't find out until a little bit later. We, but, of yeah. course, uh, she starts investigating the house. And she sees and hears some weird activity. And she's, like, at the top floor now. She's, like, in the yeah. attic. And she thinks it's the mother that she's supposed to be, uh, I don't know, adult sitting yeah geriatric caring yeah i guess that's probably a more appropriate i term. don't know i don't know <laughs> so of course she is like trying to figure out what's going on and it, there's like a bang against the door and she freaks out and starts running away and then passes out from said drugs in the pizza drugs drugs <laughs> no thank you we're fine Drugs in your pizza. <laughs> yeah. Oi. So, um. yeah, she wakes up and we see her bound and gagged and changed into some sort of like shift. Yes. See, I learned Good my lessons. Good vocabulary. Shout oh out to Ralph God. Ineson for teaching me that word. Thank you so and much, And how to Ralph say his Ineson. name. You wonderful God of a man. God, oof. Just bite my knuckle ooh. real quick. We love, mm. we love Ralph Ineson. Oh. Um. Hope you're still listening, bud. <laughs> 
But yeah, she, so so Samantha is finds herself in a precarious situation, meaning in the center of a pentagram, <laughs> um, bound and gagged. Uh, of course, the eclipse that we forgot to mention earlier, but oh, is happening. There's correct. a lunar eclipse this night. And of course there is. We see Mr. and Mrs. Ullman along with Victor, their son, the pizza delivery man and Megan murderer. Begin a bizarre ritual. Yeah, so Mother is like... The, the the character is the character's name is mother she, of course it is yeah she's this like hag and just it but uh, speaking of shifts and ralph Ineson, she looks like the the crone from the, the crone witch. from the vivich yeah it's 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 a little more um 80s-ified though yes. like it's it's not as and and this is where because when I first saw this movie I was like I was like do I want the crone to be scarier do I or do I want mother to be scarier do I want all these things and then I was like no because because it's not one of those it's not one of those movies like like if if, if it yeah, was if it was a movie if it was a movie about um uh if it was a movie that is like the witch or I'll throw Midsummer in there where it's truly supposed to be horrifying to its core, grotesque, yeah. gory, all of those things, then yes. But for something that's more of like um, a love letter to 80s horror films, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I, you can kind of even throw um, the topic of Evil Dead in there. Like Definitely. that that uh, monster makeup isn't meant to be like truly gut-wrenching and horrifying. I mean, in, in the Evil Dead and the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, for sure. But yeah. in, in the 2013 one, it definitely is. I agree. I agree. I, I was more referencing, because I'm talking about the 80s, I'm more right. referencing Sorry. Yes. the originals. Um, and yeah, I so, so when I thought about that, because I was like, is this taking away from my experience? Or, but, but then I was like, no, the whole point is for it to be a you know a, an homage or a love letter to the horror films of it of that time. 100%. So so I was like okay I'm I'm like back on board. But I did just like have that little thought. It it adds to it. Definitely. It adds to it. That was my my end end cool. game there. So we've got the uh, witch like figure that yeah. is mother. And of course there's got a of course it's a blood ritual. So love it. We've got um, Samantha's arm being, you know, sliced and and blood into a, a skull. A, yeah, this uh, like goat skull. A goat skull. Yeah, of course. In all blood rituals, you know, you do the you 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 draw the symbols, you make them drink the blood. Well, like we've all of course, seen, yeah. we've all seen the movies. It's the most important part of any blood ritual I've been a part of. Totally. And she manages to escape. I guess halfway through the ritual. I don't know how long these. So take. yeah, basically. So yeah, she does. She grabs a knife from Mother and stabs Mother somehow. Mother doesn't like it. Mother doesn't like it. Why is this making me think of Grey Gardens? Same style of house, creepy basement with ritual sacrifices. Well, and just the word Mother. Yes. Like, I, it, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going places right now. I'm going places. Sending me. Sending me. I'm sent. So as Samantha's escaping, she trips over Megan's bloody corpse. Cool. And half cool, a head. cool. She manages to kill Mrs. Ullman and shoots Victor. Yeah. But, like, she starts having hallucinations of mother. Probably from the pizza drugs. Or the blood drugs. Oh, maybe. I forgot she ingested... Her own blood. Her own blood. I mean, yeah, who knows what was mixed in in any of these. It's just like a horrifying cocktail. Great. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. cool. So, Mr. Ullman does chase her 
out of the house and through in your right through the same cemetery where Megan was killed. But he tries to tell her that like, look, you were chosen. It's your destiny to accept him. Just like in Rosemary's Baby, just like, like you were chosen. It's always some sort of deliberate thing. Yeah. So of course she holds the gun on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just sort of like holds his arms out and he's like, look, I'm a messenger and you're too late. So instead of shooting him, she puts the gun to her own head. This is my favorite twist in the movie. I know. It's a really good twist. When she shoots herself in the head. Yeah. It's it's so great. Um, yeah. Of course, now we get a great little broadcast cut. That's another fantastic 80s mo- homage. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about this strange lunar eclipse, which confounded the scientists due to its abrupt ending. Yeah. And that we find out that that broadcast is coming from a TV in a hospital room where Samantha lies, her head in bandages, and a nurse... Walks in and pats her on the stomach, saying, you'll be just fine. Both of you. Like fucking Rosemary's baby shit. Oh, man. Okay. I, I fucking love every last so, second of this movie. So Perfect I'm, 96 minutes. Yes. It's a, it's, I love it. I, I don't have much bad to say about it, but I will say that if you... This is a great movie for people who absolutely love horror films from the 80s. and for sure. Any sort of satanic panic. Anyone who's interested in that should definitely watch this. But I will say for someone who maybe is into other subgenres of horror and this isn't necessarily one that they connect with, stick with this one. Like, if you are recommending absolutely. it to a friend, just be like... Be upfront and say, like, it's a little slow at the beginning, but this ending is so fucking worth it. Everything if you pays don't, off. If, yeah, if you don't know, like, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen it or at least know enough about it to be able to listen to us, you know, talk about the plot. Def. But if you're going to introduce it to a friend, I would just, like... It's kind of like, like don't don't tell them anything about it about like the ending especially yeah. before they go into it because that ending pays off so incredibly well mm-hmm. and the moment that Megan gets shot is when you're like oh my god like you are like awake yeah and that is you, you are, are ready for yeah. the re- you are in it after that it's just it just takes a second to establish all of the things but if you are a horror lover you are just gonna see the nod oh, and be man. like, nice. Yeah. Nice. You're just going like, to eat it up the whole time. Like it's like yeah, just a fucking delicious, like it's like lo mein, man. You just sit there you're like, Oh, this is so perfect. I love everything about this. Uh, are we getting Chinese food tonight? Maybe. Uh, sure. Hope so. Um, I am hungry. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I always want Chinese food. I love, I love food. It's on your gravestone. I love food. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's kind of my one thing that I have to say about this movie is that it is it is a slow burn, but that's not a bad thing. No, I think it's I I would I refer to it something like, you know how we talked about how the Evil Dead is like a perfect horror primer. Yes, this movie is sort of like your junior and senior year classes, right? And I agree. Like, like yeah, for you, this to is really like your three hundred, four hundred level classes. You really, mm-hmm. I think you need to have studied before you watch this one. That's not supposed to be elitist. I think you could watch this movie as a non horror nerd and still fucking love it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's, um, I, and I think it could open a lot of a lot of doors to uh, watching some other some other movies. Um, I mean, this is definitely sort of. I, I I'd say one of the biggest movies that this is. An homage to, or like a love letter to, it besides Rosemary's Baby, yeah, is Amityville Horror, yeah. Doesn't it, I mean it just feels so 
fantastically like this really nice blend of slasher meets haunted house. Yeah. And it's neither, which I love. Yeah. <clears throat> it's also really fun to have a movie about the satanic panic because we had a bunch of movies that were during the satanic panic, but there haven't been many actually about it. True. True. Uh, which I find really interesting. You know, it's one of those, we have a few now, but you and I were talking a few weeks ago of like, oh, what do we want to cover next? And we're like, well, we haven't, we were trying to look at it genre wise, like, or sub genre wise, what yeah. haven't we covered? And I think we basically hit all the, uh, all of the main sub genres now. Yeah. With this, because this is our first one that we've covered that's uh, Satanic Panic or like Babysitter movie. Yes. And I love that you think it's going to be more about the house. You really do. You think it's going to be more about that, but you almost forget the setting that they're in once shit really goes down. Yeah. You don't even like it. it it's a really great setup having like, you know, obviously like a haunted house. Again, it's so on the nose that you're just like, oh, my God, like what's going on? What's going to happen? Yeah. You know, like I think I know, but probably don't. And then the ending happens and you're just like, holy shit every Um, piece of the ending yeah you don't think it's going to happen you think it's going to end with her in the basement you think it's going to end when she shoots herself in the head and then it doesn't either of those times that's such a cool thing because they're the huge thing with satanic panic a huge uh portion of it was uh uh spawns spawns of satan right spawns you know or like uh, what's happening to our kids that was the whole thing exactly um, because uh, there was even that like uh, daycare abuse thing. Yes. Like, like there are so many things going uh, going on, but it centers a lot around children, whether it is like a Rosemary's Baby situation or whether it's, you know, who's the spawn or, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like yeah. it, that's, they don't want it to continue and, and having children means you could procreate enough to, and like it's, it's that whole fear mongering thing. Yes. Um, which we are definitely going to talk more about. I don't. Do you want to go into that now? Uh, I just wanted to talk about it before we launch into that. I think that's the. Be- I think we should cap off the sure. episode like that. Sure. I'm just going to do a few technical things real quick. Great. That was. Twas my question. If you wanted to do yeah. that first. Uh, just because I only I don't have too many things to say about the technical. Other that's than, what I like, It's fucking incredible. Uh, I actually couldn't find this on shot on what. Unfortunately, uh, I know it was shot on 16 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Which is another that's a, that's itself a reference, yeah, to the seventies and eighties. So it it definitely the use of sixteen millimeter for mm-hmm. sure makes it feel like a Carpenter or a Quigley or a Trauma even <laughs> movie. Yeah, uh, you know it it has this this nostalgia to the f- use of that film mm-hmm. that as a medium like took me straight back to being a kid at Blockbuster, right? Or like our local video store and going to rent these just like weird little movies that I loved the covers of and they looked scary and my mom and I would watch them or going back to, you know, like going over to a cousin's house and watching cable and just seeing like random reruns of some stupid movie from the eighties that they bought the rights to, you know? Totally. And I was also thinking about knowing when it was made and the aesthetic that they were going for um, uh, with the homage to the 80s. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking about if you know that it was filmed recently and you're conditioned to, you know, be viewing things the way that we are now. Yeah. You almost inherently see it as like a dream 
like state. Yes. Because it is a little like fuzzier. It is, you know, it's, it's kind of got this like film over it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like a And that's a the filter. use of the 16 millimeter that definitely does exactly. that. Exactly. So that's what's kind of interesting to me. It's kind of, it's similar to The Love Witch where, because yes. it's, it's another movie that was made to uh, look like it was uh, from another Yeah, decade. it's a period piece of sorts. Yeah. And so it kind of, kind of gives you this like dream state mm-hmm. um, and that that kind of gets your brain going as a as a viewer at least it did for me uh, even knowing that it was supposed to be just like an 80s film it, yeah it it just I don't know it it, it added something else for me yeah <laughs> I mean nostalgia alone isn't going to make a movie work right yeah it's something that you know BuzzFeed relies a lot on but it's not a proper filmmaker can't do that. Yeah. Uh, you can't make a visually stunning, slow burn slasher haunted house movie. Yeah. Work on nostalgia. Exactly. And I think that, I think that w- what I'm actually getting at is that if you weren't, if you weren't into eighties movies or whatever, there is still a quality about this that makes you kind of feel like it's eerie. It's kind of in the way that David Lynch has his actors speak in kind of a very sterile tone. Yes. It's it they don't do that in this film, but it's kind of a similar thing where you're you get like a different vibe. Totally, totally. You, you get that uh, that dreamy horror mm-hmm. um vibe with it. For sure. So, uh, the other cool technical things that are nice references to the past mm-hmm. is obviously his use of uh, opening and opening credits. Those like yes. big yellow opening credits, oh my plus God. the, and the like, closing credits too, running over a still frame, yes. which is very eighties. So eighties, it feels like a fucking like after school special. <laughs> I love it. And of course, one of the coolest ones that I, most people maybe wouldn't notice. This is very much like a film technique thing. Mm-hmm. So there was this trend in the seventies. There's a couple of directors who use this now. Uh, most notably, I would say probably Quentin Tarantino. So. During the 70s, there was this trend in f- in shooting to zoom in, as in using like an actual focal zoom. Yes. As opposed to dollying for your zoom. Right. So you see this a lot. So you can think of like any Tarantino movie. It uses like a fast zoom, right? So they use they use the lens instead of the dolly for this, you think? Correct. Okay. No, I, I know you that. Know. Yeah, you know. It's, Sorry. Um, no, no, no. It's okay. Um it's one of those things that, like, when you learn the difference, it's a much, much different kind of shot. That makes sense. That makes sense. It, it, yeah. The zoom almost feels corny now. So when you see but people it use works. it, it's typically a reference. Yeah, I, I was about to say, but it works as a as a reference. Yeah, it's funny. I like. It's so wonderful. This, this whole movie, everything about it, I can't say enough good about. And I think. I'm going to link this article in our in our reference or footnotes or whatever. Always. But there's this great write-up of the movie in, from the AV Club from uh, Scott Tobias. Okay. And he talks about how Ty West, just like Quentin Tarantino, is able to turn trash into treasure. Totally. Taking these like older, like sort of trashy, goofy movies. Because like, if you went back and watched a movie from a random movie from 83 that this is possibly a reference to, it would probably fucking suck. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that it's so good shows that he, that Ty West understood what was good about those and the feelings and that it could give you and yeah. made something incredible. Totally. I love the use of extended like wide shots. Yes. For, for this, like we don't, we don't use those 
as much these days. Like the no. really long, just like wide, wide establishing shot that lasts, you know, it, it almost puts you off because it lasts so long. Yeah, you park the then, camera in one place and they and just... And that's it. Yeah, and you the know? scene happens in it and it's so great because it lets yes. you treat the, the screen like a stage. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we don't do that so much anymore. So it that definitely stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you were saying that like it's it's something that we don't really use much anymore and it's it's such a fantastic thing. One, for the reference of it because that's a very mm-hmm. Carpenter type shot too. Exactly, You'll that's see that what I was Omen thinking. You'll see that in Omen as well. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, and I'm thinking of Rosemary's Baby with the phone booth outside of the doctor's office. Yes, you know you know more than she does in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And there's, oh man, I'm thinking of the, now I'm thinking of the one of the, my favorite shots in this film besides the, the car shot. Mm-hmm. That's for, it's just a very good emotional shot. Like it makes you feel something, which yeah. is always great in a horror movie. I mean, any any shot should make you feel something. That's why we treat cinema, cinematographers and you know directors of photography as artists because they are totally, absolutely. But oh man, the phone call scene in this movie is the best. The one on the campus where she's at the payphone. Oh yeah, because because that's the only thing that's going on. There are no background actors. I don't think you see like a few students crossing, but in their deep background. Yeah, but you have this beautiful empty space, and it a, the blocking is really weird here. The blocking is not something you do in film anymore. Yeah. Um. Oh, actually, it follows did this too. Yeah. Because they have all those wide shots, so you can see the background happening, so that mm-hmm. you can always suspect that there is going to be it behind her yeah but in this it's you have the phone booth on the left third Mm -hmm. and then she crosses upstage or downstage i guess i can't remember stage directions she goes to the background so she walks away diagonally so So she she crosses crosses the stage okay yes yeah yes downstage is towards the audience and in this case towards the camera right upstage is towards the uh, scrim thank you yeah yeah so she's walking upstage and crossing right so she's on a diagonal which you don't really do in film either because it looks weird a lot of times Mm -hmm. and then the phone rings and she crosses back through just as she's entered the right third and so she goes through all three left right thirds of the screen of the uh, shot and through the middle and top well and it gives you it gives you this sense of like we're not done here yet yes we haven't moved on she's walking away but that shit's gonna ring again and it's gonna yeah well it's always amazing when a director and a dp know how to use depth of field i yeah. mean it's something that it's it's so interesting in a in a in a medium that is supposed to give us three-dimensional feelings mm-hmm. that we shoot at 2d so often and by that i mean how many times have you used have you seen someone use good depth of field like that like interesting right. and innovative depth of field it's so totally, rare totally and that is another thing that really adds to this movie and keeps you engaged in the parts that is kind of kind of set up but it's definitely necessary setup yeah you know i'm kind of like if a movie's going to take a while to set something up it it better be like a worthwhile b yeah. <laughs> uh, please make it like interesting and aesthetically and otherwise right like a pretty thing that lives in the house Right. Oh, God. I can't even go back to that. I talked about that too much this week. It just, like, came up. Um, (laughs) Wasn't my fault I didn't bring it up or anything. Um, Oh, Lord. So, horror babes, now is the time for us to give you a down and dirty little history lesson on satanic panic. Something that is fascinating because, again, I feel like you can't do enough research on this. There is just so much tied to it it's literally the background it's like my desktop background 
Yeah. It's this stupid newspaper article about uh, D&D and the satanic panic. And there's this dope drawing of a lich in there. Yeah. It's like, if you wanted to make this sound bad, why did you make it so cool? Totally. <laughs> totally. Do you want to take it away? I do. Okay. So... A number of factors contributed to the increased interest in and fear of the occult during the late 1960s and 70s, mainly the uh, the uh, 70s. It was in mm-hmm. 1969 that uh, the Manson cult's operation in the late 60s culminated in a string of mass murders in the summer of 1969, which shocked the nation and put organized ritualistic killing on the brain. So here we go. We've got like a little a little egg. We've got a little egg, and it's about to incubate mm-hmm. here. Okay? The same year, Anton LaVey published the Satanic Bible, which became the text for the Church of Satan, a group that uh, LaVey uh, officially fun- founded officially founded in 1966. The Satanic Bible plagiarized works of H. Of H. L. Mencken. I believe that's how you yeah, say it. Yeah, H.L. Mencken. Yeah. H.L. Mencken. 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 Like, Al- like, like Alan, Alan Mencken. Mencken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Satanic Bible plagiarized works of H.L. Mencken and Anne Rand. Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. She's Russian. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I'm going to take that again. Yeah. The oh. Satanic Bible plagiarized works of H.L. Mencken and Ayn Rand, who wrote about um, objectivism, which is uh, like... In a in a sentence, uh, basically, is like no greater moral. There's no greater moral goal than achieving one's happiness. Yeah, and let's let me just pop in real quick to say, fuck Ayn Rand. I hate her so much. She's a terrible philosopher, a worse writer. Never heard of editing. I hate her. I've hate I've her heard so there's much. there's a lot of uh, critiques. Well, she's like one of the big voices of i mean she's dead now but she's one of the big voices of the like more very very conservative right in america right like alan greenspan was a student of hers so basically the satanic bible just uh paraphrased all of these uh different philosophies and just right so so it, it kind of was not a even a a credible source no um but became um, became the source for uh, the Church of Satan. Um, then we've got the novel The Exorcist coming out in 1971 and then the movie later in 1973, claiming mm-hmm. to be based on a true story, which is always going to be a form of fear-mongering because a lot of people don't realize that based on a true story <laughs> can mean can mean they only used the names. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like Legally, that can mean so many things. Um, The Exorcist uh, amped up collective fear of the occult through the existence of demons and then the use of the popular Ouija board, uh, which turned the game uh, from just kind of like an innocent, silly sleepover thing Mm -hmm. to a tool to induce possession and other uh, paranormal activity. We've all done it. Yeah. Totally fun. Um, In 1972... Satan's Cellar was published, and Satan's Cellar was a memoir by self-proclaimed Christian evangelist Mike Warnke, or Warnk, I'm not sure. I think it's Warnke. I think, it's, I think so, too. Uh, Warnke. Uh, the memoir uh, recounted Warnke's childhood and early adulthood as being spent in intense satanic worship. Uh, Warnke claimed to serve as a satanic high priest and uh, engaged in ritualistic sex orgies. Ooh. The memoir was ultimately discredited as a complete fabrication 20 years later. <laughs> we love a grifter. 
Exactly. And that's what actually what a lot of um, a lot of these people are. Um, Wernke posed as an expert in uh, Satanism for Christians and used his fake childhood stories to explain how, in quotes, real Satanism works. Mm hmm. Uh, All throughout the 70s, there were several other self-proclaimed former uh, Satanists who rose basically from like the Manson ashes. Yeah. Um, You know, like it it, it all, they were kind of all from like Southern California. Like it kind of all spanned from uh, or stemmed from this, from the whole Manson The Manson family, yeah. The Manson family. Yeah, because like the people who, after Manson's arrest and the, the people, the Manson family members who murdered Sharon Tate... Yes. Kind of all got scattered. To the, the rest of the family got scattered to the wind because there were lots of people who lived on the ranch. Yeah. And so after after Warnke published this, it, it kind of it inspired a lot of memoirs throughout the years, like mm-hmm. even up through the 90s with uh, what was it? I, I have it on our list to uh, like Michelle remembers or something. We'll talk about that in a second. But a couple of, of people, just to name a few, John Todd, Herschel Smith, and David Hansen, mm-hmm. they all insisted that the world was being run by ritualistic satanic witch cults because of what they experienced as children. Right. Um, and all of these stories appealed to Christians as they were stories of conversion. Christians love a conversion story. Oh, they sure do. So it ju- they, they saw that and they like scooted right in. Yep. And then we've got this guy... Jack Chick. Yes. Who started making these like comic style pamphlets advocating against Satanism, which obviously feeds into the panic in churches surrounding the occult because what else do churches love? Motherfucking pamphlets. Oh, they love a pamphlet. So you, right? if you don't know who Jack Chick is, you've definitely seen his work. Absolutely. There's no way you could have missed it. Anytime, like especially if you grew up in the South or anything like that, this was everywhere. But they're the little like... What what would you call them? Like two by one inch or like three by two inch little yeah. flip books almost. Yeah, and they just had little comics in them. I mean, they weren't comics, but they were. Well, they were they, like, were, they were comics. They yeah, they were cartoonish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was all about like the evils of Satanism or the evils of uh, abortion, the evils of this, that, and the other. And it always has like Bible verses and stuff like that like in I it. I said churches love little books. They love little oh, pamphlets. Incredible marketing. Honestly, this yeah. was like a thing that was easily digestible. It's I, I think as much as I think it's bullshit. I love it. It's just clever. Yeah. Yeah. So during this time, we also saw a rise in serial killers throughout the U.S. Of course, there was a Zodiac killer in California, as well as the Alphabet killer. You had, and, and people were freaked out by this because it was like, oh, they're performing these, like they have these patterns. They're a ritual. You started having people saying they were serial killer experts. This, the show Mindhunters that's on Netflix right now is all about mm-hmm. this idea yeah. Um, and features a few, you know, characters from that time, yeah. as well as the movie Zodiac from David Fincher, one of the only movies of his that I really, truly love, um, are all sort of about turning these ritual murders into a public, into public knowledge, which again, yeah, just freaked everybody out. People were terrified. We, of course, then get Ted Bundy in the Northwest, John Wayne Gacy, the my one of my top five favorite serial killers. It's just a wild story I'm a there. Person. It's it's sickening. That's a whole it's so fascinating to me. Yes. There's a lot there. Uh yeah, John Wayne Gacy famous for dressing up as a clown and being a contractor who murdered at least twenty boys. Uh we also had the Hillside Stranglers and then David Berkowitz, more better known as the son of Sam, who terrorized New York for two years. 
Mm-hmm. So with all of this sort of like newfound, this this new style of murderer that no one had ever heard before, which was a serial killer and all popped up basically after the Manson family. Yeah. Uh, obviously public opinion was, and public panic was pretty fucking high. Yeah. So then we get towards the 80s. There's a few interesting things here. So during this time, you may have heard of a little movie called Mazes and Monsters. Mm-hmm. That is about this guy, James Dallas Egbert III. Uh, he was originally from Ohio. He went, to, he went to Michigan State. Michigan State just always pops up. But he really loved playing Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. So, which I do too. Yeah. And it's funny. This is um, actually what made Dungeons & Dragons famous. Of course, yeah. This It was like nothing before this. There's no bad publicity. <laughs> <laughs> so Egbert went to Michigan State, uh, Michigan State early. He went at the age of 16. Yeah. Um, was known to be very, very smart. He was majoring in computer science, which was not a thing at the time. This is like 1979, 1978 or 79. So like computer science is a brand new field, basically. Mm-hmm. Of course, he also had depression. He was very lonely. I mean, child prodigy studying computer science in 1978 who likes to play Dungeons and Dragons in Michigan. Like, yeah, his parents were definitely very hard on him is what that people have said. And he also had some drug addiction and uh, potentially was having trouble sort of reconciling his supposed homosexuality. Right. So he, in 1979... Uh, August, sorry, August 15, 1979, writes a suicide note, leaves his dormitory, and enter the university's steam tunnels, which run all underneath the campus. He then took a bunch of quaaludes, intending to kill himself with those, mm-hmm. uh, but he did not survive. He woke up the next day, and, okay, he's unsuccessful, so he goes and hides at a friend's house for, like, a month. So the police start searching for him, um, and this... Journalists for the university's newspaper started publishing details about his disappearance and the suicide note. Of course, his parents hire a PI, um, and the, uh, whose name was William Deere, who knew nothing about Dungeons and Dragons or any sort of fancy role play, fantasy role playing games. Um, he decided that his disappearance was related to his involvement with the game. Just decided, you and know. the <laughs> me- news media just grabbed on that. Uh, yeah. Supposedly, students were playing, were like LARPing under in the steam tunnels, and that's why he went there. Okay. And they thought that he was injured or harmed in some way during a session. Got it. So after several weeks, uh, with Egbert like bouncing around to different houses, uh, he got on a bus to New Orleans. All right. So this time, so then he did in New Orleans. He took a cyanide compound. Mm. To try and kill himself and mm. failed again. Damn. Or I should say he was unsuccessful in his uh, in his attempt to harm himself. Correct. Which is just wild. Twice. Twice. So he moved again to a different place in Louisiana, got a job, and then after four days working at that job, he just called the PI and told him where he was. Deer, the PI, went down to Louisiana. Some others went to Texas. They found Egbert, and he asked Egbert, asked Deer to not let everybody know what was going on about the investigation. He wanted to keep it all like private. Deer agreed and let Egbert into the custody of his uncle on September 13th, 1979. This is all just like a month of his life. Wow. One year later, almost to the day after he his first attempt, he shot himself. Later on, Deer writes a book 
called the Dungeon Master. Now, that goes into the sto- this whole story, basically, of Egbert's multiple attempts and eventual disappearance and what he was doing, because he did talk to Deer about everything. He it's told him absolutely everything that happened. Now, the problem was is that people decided that losing touch with reality and fantasy role-playing were the same thing. Right. And, and they- started linking... Yes. The uh, Dungeons and Dragons to the Satanic Panic as well. Yes. It also inspired a copycat. Not a copycat, really, but... So, yeah, uh, Rona Jaffe wrote a fictional version of this case, uh, uh, the, mo- the novel Mazes and Monsters, which then became a, then became a made-for-TV movie the uh-huh. next year. So this was... She publishes her novel the year after he dies. The movie is made the next year. So by 1982... There's two different versions of the story already out for the public. And it's uh, it's funny. Tom Hanks is actually in that movie. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, um, and basically plays Egbert's role. I'm like, I don't I can't I can't decide if I'm surprised about that. Yeah. yeah. So I, the media obviously played a huge role in this. Exactly, like it's, it's yeah. all a lot of it is 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 uh, fear mongering. And it kind of the 80s was really interesting, at least to me, with the satanic panic, because a yeah. lot of it was fear in um, kind of this the 70s. It was mm-hmm. a lot of just like uh, not understanding and a lot of fear about it. But in the 80s, it kind of turned into more of like a war, like angels yeah. versus devils. You saw I mean, like you you saw like all of these uh, like kind of fire and brimstone churches. Falwell. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Falkins, exactly. Jerry He's such Falwell. A piece of shit. And it, it's and then uh, you saw these like anti anti occult crusaders mm-hmm. and um and and that fueled into it too the whole Dungeons and Dragons uh fiasco and then in nineteen in nineteen eighty eight you've got Geraldo Rivera's documentary Devil Worship exposing Satan's underground which was the highest rated televised documentary like ever yeah or up until that point he had um, gotten famous in. Uh, because of his expose in Staten Island right. about the the mental health facility there, that was a huge thing for him. Yeah, uh, and actually inspired the uh, it inspired the myth of the cryptid or whatever that lives on Staten Island, Cropsey. Amazing. Yeah, just weird stuff. And then you've got like you've got Hell's Bells. Yeah, you've got the I've whole, seen that documentary. <laughs> well, you've got the whole like thing where they thought like subliminal messaging was a thing, and that rock right. music was playing tied records in. backwards. Yeah, rock music was tied into um, uh, the whole uh, Satanism and, and and all of that. And then you've of course got the very famous 2020 episode where they actually televised an exorcism, mm-hmm. a Roman Catholic exorcism. That didn't air until 1991, but right. it's it's all still happening today. It's kind of crazy. Um, and it's funny, too, because like all of this was just being eaten up by the media, like you said. That's what I'm saying, yeah. It's because of bullshit, too. Like Either people making things up like William Deere did, yeah, where he just didn't know anything about it. He's like, so it must be this. And then you've got, have you ever heard of Christopher Wayne Pritchard? Yes. So he was a really interesting, this is a really interesting case, too. Mm-hmm. So Leith Peter Von Stein... Uh, was this guy who lived in North Carolina near Winston-Salem. And in 1988, he was stabbed and bludgeoned to death in his home. So Christopher Wayne Pritchard was his stepson. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who devised the plot. Uh, they also attacked Pritchard's mother. But this kid, uh, this friend of Pritchard's, James Bartlett Upchurch III, Jesus Christ. Wow. 
uh, <laughs> was the one who actually performed the murder. So he got first degree counts and Pritchard and their other co-conspirator, Gerald Neal Henderson, uh, got convicted of aiding and abetting murder. Right. So apparently it was actually just a plot to steal the step uh, the stepfather's portion to steal the stepfather's fortune. But when they were arrested, Pritchard said that they were inspired because of Dungeons and Dragons, that that was why right, right. The, they made the attack. And so just because they were interested in it and he said like, oh, um, um, that's why. And like it's it was just bullshit. Like he didn't want to admit to trying to to killing for greed, so he like tried to play the insanity plea. Basically, I was about to say it's like the insanity plea. And as you guys can see, we're 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 only really scratching the surface here. Like yeah, I was overwhelmed when making my notes. Um, so I mean, throughout the eighties, so many memoirs were released. Like I, I mentioned briefly before, Michelle remembers, and then there is also one called Satan's Underground, which mm-hmm. pretty much all recounted stories of satanic ritual abuse. Right, and um, all memoirs that have come out have later been deemed fabrications. Yeah, they're all grifts. They're all yeah, and it's it's all capitalizing on like cool, you told a story, but it's completely fictional. You know, mm-hmm. like, don't try and, you know, but they think it's going to, or they know it's going to sell if it's, like, this is true. You know, if, yeah. it's, if it's if it's marketed as a memoir, then they're, like, you know. But anyway, uh, Michelle remembers basically, um, so that was a huge one, because it yeah. basically brought up all of these um, beliefs that daycare owners across the country were just visiting occult acts of uh, child abuse yeah. and became the daycare sex abuse, like mass panic, like became a thing. Everyone was just, and it's all because of this book, again, the media. Um, and yeah, you even have- I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I remember, I, I remember like vaguely, even on like those VH1 shows, like I Love the 80s or whatever, yeah. people talked about like the whole daycare, just like mass panic. And it's so weird because like what we have now is QAnon. That's our version. That's of our version panic. of it. Yeah, but absolutely. It's, it's also tied to this. Like it has its roots in this, like this yeah. whole like child sex abuse thing. That's what QAnon's all about. Totally. And it's just, it's now morphed into instead of the Satanists, it's... Well, they don't want to say it's the capitalists, but they think it's, you know, this this secret group of, like, powerful people. Yeah. And it, so, like, uh, was it? Yeah, you've got here in the notes, um, Peter Berbergall actually summed up this whole thing very well. Yeah. Saying that the at, for the time, like, what people thought at the time was, like, the devil worshippers could be anywhere. They could be your next door neighbor. They could be your child's caregiver. They could be exactly. anyone. Yeah. And that's what I was saying about, like... Um, a lot of people get really afraid when the next generation is threatened. Yeah. Because what does that mean for them when they get older? Right. You know what I mean? Like, what is the world going to look like for their children? For, you know, so that it it's, it's automatically going to be, um, it's automatically going to incite fear. Mm-hmm. So that's why that was so insanely huge. Um, and then the, the bringing us kind of up to now or like semi recently mm-hmm. because this still is lingering on in in kind of a QAnon way but yeah. also um there was a whole documentary um about um Amanda Knox 
God, who yeah, that case was so weird. Was accused of killing her roommate, Meredith Kircher. It was in Italy, I believe. Yes. In an occult ritual. Yeah. I I don't remember how that documentary ended. I remember watching it, but that that There's also been a lot of stuff that's come out recently about that case too. Exactly. So that is something that even semi recently is, you know, still still has satanic panic just surrounding it. Yeah, I remember the um the Slenderman stabbings too. That's right. That was another one that kind of was more recent. That was, I think that was only a few years ago. Yeah. That was what, 2016? Well, and it's basically what I think it all boils down to from maybe like a psychological perspective of the human race in general Mm -hmm. is that, is that no one, everyone wants something to believe is causing harm. They don't want to believe that like humans can inherently be, bad people because that's almost scarier than blaming something that's more ethereal. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's always been my take on it is that humans don't want to believe that their next door neighbor can actually do harm to them unless they were possessed by, you know, the devil. Or like just had some great faith in the devil or something like that. Yeah. It has to be some other force making them do that. They're not just inherently a person who is either, severely mentally ill and it's gone unchecked or Mm -hmm. you know like they don't want to believe that they want to believe that it's something way more out of our hands and dramatic definitely yeah that was a lot of fun that was good information thanks for pulling all that together babe that was mostly from a vox article right it was it was and i obviously i will i will link that and i you know it's again scratching the surface like if you are really if you are interested in this you could be researching for a really long time i've spent hours and i spent a bunch of hours in college just sitting in the stacks in the basement of our library yeah on campus just reading about this because it's so fascinating and when I definitely should have been writing papers yeah. <laughs> I was just down there just I would get like on one article and just go dive yeah deep 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 into this stuff yeah um but yeah there are there is a lot of great research out there about this as well that's a little more sober mm-hmm. uh in the year in the mo- in more recent years people have written a lot about this um yes. actually and I think it's either coming out or it just came out Shudder who we love yeah sponsor mm-hmm. us just had uh has <laughs> got a documentary about it that's either coming up or just came out yeah and it's supposed to be very good yeah i'm excited for it no so what. so thank you guys for going on this ride with us we hope that you feel more informed than when you pressed play um we're gonna go enjoy some socially distanced sun in the park now mm-hmm. and um get some get some food so sacrifice your babies to satan wow wow Wow. Ending it on a strong note. Um, Fuck it. I'll carve a pentagram into my stomach. I don't give a fuck. Satan told me to do it. Let's go. Damn. Okay. Anyway, um, if you, like, after that, want to even find us on social media, I don't know if I'd want to have anything to do with us, but... The Dark Lord is coming. Okay. You have to stop that now um, because you're scaring me. I'm going to go home. (laughs) I'm joking. Maybe. Anyway... You know where to find us. On Instagram, we're at Horror Babes Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Horror Babes Pod. And uh, our website is horrorbabespod.com. And if you're looking at me like you're going to do something bad. Mother doesn't like it. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm Nicole, I think. I am the darkness. Oh, God. (laughs) Stop it. Fine. I'm Topher. I'm cured. I was exercised. Sorry, we had to take a quick break there to get the devil out of me. 
I don't even know where to go from here. This is going to be really hard for you to edit now because I'm just all out of sorts. Okay, bye. Till next time. Bye, babes. Bye, babes.